Now, the title of the message this morning is, Whatever You Do, Make Disciples. And you have a handout there and you're a place to take some notes along the way, and we'll be in Mark chapter 3. But the title is very significant, and I'll explain why a little bit, little bit later on. But here it is. Whatever you do, whatever you do, while you're doing that, make disciples. I, I love springtime. Somebody was already talking about it feels like spring should be coming, and I'm so ready for that. Anybody else agree with me on that? I'm ready for this to springtime. Well, I grew up down south. I grew up in South Carolina, spent some time in Georgia, and what happens in South Carolina and in Georgia in February, this time of year, about the next week or so, all of a sudden the daffodils pop out, and you have these beautiful little yellow flowers just popping up all over the place, and it's like spring is here, yes, we're ready to go. We're a long way from that here in Iowa, okay, we don't have the daffodils popping up, and then just a few weeks after that, then you have the azaleas popping out and just so much color and life and things are growing. You know, I have so much respect for, for our farmers around here, the, the work that they do and the motivation they have for that. I just watch this, this churning, this I got to get busy, I got to get to work. There's so much that needs to be done because I can't wait to get out in the field, Correct. And they're planting, and they're and they're preparing, and they're and they're and they're they're working it again and again. And why? Because they're anticipating a really good harvest, and they're just drawn to this work of the harvest. It's because of the harvest. There's a certain sense of satisfaction that comes when 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 you're working the fields, and it brings about growth. You, you understand the process, you know what it takes to get there, but you love the produce, what comes from that. You want to invest in things that will grow and produce more growth and produce more growth. Whether it's financial, certainly in the fields, you want to see produce. So where do you go to find that? You want to go someplace where there, it's going to grow and it's going to last and it's going to, to make a difference. It's going to make a difference. I love noise in church. All right? Just sometimes they're louder than me, so I need to get a little bit louder here. You've got to be investing in something that's going to make a difference for all eternity. And the one thing that you can invest in that will make a difference for all eternity is people. People. Are you investing in people? Let me tell you the story of Tom, an airman at uh, Peterson Air Force Base in Colorado Springs when we lived there. Someone had given him a gospel track and uh, he kind of tossed it aside and then somebody invited him to come to our Christmas program. God uses Christmas programs and Easter programs. By the way, let me encourage you to get involved with, with the choir that's working again towards Easter, and there's an opportunity for sharing the gospel with that, but that, you see the practice schedule in, in the bulletin and so forth, but be ready to work with that again. I look forward to that. But, but Tom came to this Christmas program at Mesa Hills Bible Church in Colorado Springs, and and. After that, we had the chance to share the gospel with him 
And you know what? He trusted Christ and his life was transformed. And he couldn't help but, but be talking about Jesus because it was so real to him. It was from, like, from darkness to light and it really was. And he couldn't help talking about Jesus. Although he needed a little bit of training about how to do that. What was appropriate? <laughs> We'd go skiing at Breckenridge or Keystone. You ever go to Colorado, you got to go skiing. And we loved it. And a bunch of us would go, and, and I'd be riding up on the lift with him, and he'd be yelling down at people below, Hey, you, read John 3.16. Jesus loves you. And they, you know, they're kind of looking up, and what's going on with that? Or, or he'd yell again another time, he'd yell, Hey, you, go to church tomorrow, it's Sunday. And, and you know, it's what, what's he doing with that? Um, that was 35 years ago. I had a chance to talk to Tom just the other day, and, and uh, I asked him, do you remember doing that? And he goes, oh, yeah. He said, I, tell, I still tell that story to the guys I'm working with, and, I, and I, I say, never lose your zeal for Jesus, but be smart about it, okay? <laughs> Learn how to do it, hence the exchange. He became very much proficient about that, and I'll tell you more about that as we progress here. But Tom's whole goal in life became making disciples, introducing the gospel and talking to him about how to grow just like God had changed his life. Whatever you do, make disciples. That leads us back to our text in Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 7. Thank you, Dan. We read through the entire passage already. And, and as I was working through this passage some time back, I was thinking through this, and it, it, I was asking the question, so why are these particular events stacked up together? Why did God prompt Mark in, by inspiration to put these together in this way, this progression of events? where Jesus has this huge crowd, everybody is rushing in to be around him, and then these unclean spirits are proclaiming, you are the Son of God, and, and then Jesus... Hello? One, two, three? All right. So then, then Jesus goes up on the mountain, and he appoints 12. So what's happening with this progression? And what I was drawn to is there's a contrast here that I think we'd need to take note of, recognizing that there's something really important that we apply here. It opens with two very stressful situations. In Mark chapter 3, verse 9, this crowd, literally thousands of people showing up. They were crushing him. And he, as we read here, withdrew on purpose, strategically isolating himself from what was going on. That's kind of strange. When you have a huge crowd gather and you, want, you think, man, I want to get in on this. There's a crowd here. I want to be there. Uh, and then in verses 11 and 12, we see this matter of the unclean spirits crying out, this is Jesus, the Son of God. And you would think you want to get that word out that way. Make it known. Put it out on social media. Make sure everybody hears this. And Jesus says to them, not now. Don't make me known. Jesus could 
have built on the crowd momentum. Literally, there were tens of thousands, as I understand, tens of thousands showing up. Let me just show you a map of Jesus' ministry, but, but I want you to see that what this verse is referring to is from all the way down south in Idumea, in the lower portion there, down by the Dead Sea, and then all the way up into what is now Lebanon, and across the Jordan, people from all over were gathering in Galilee where Jesus is. They had heard the word and they couldn't wait to get there. And they knew that there was something incredible going on with this man who was healing. And he could have capitalized on that, the fact that there was this true revelation that while this was all going on and thousands of people were showing up, then there are these demon-possessed individuals that are screaming, he's the son of God. And that's the truth. He could have built on all that momentum thinking, now's the time. Yet he didn't. And I'm asking the question, why not? Why didn't he just go with the flow and go with the energy and go with, the, with all the excitement? And yet Jesus strategically, on purpose, removed himself from that. Uh, we read that, that Jesus... Uh, in verse 13, he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he had desired, and they came to him. He got away from the crowd. I'm asking, why is that? Was there a better way? So our question that we want to consider is, how can we be most productive in God's kingdom for God's glory? How can we best invest our lives, the time and energy that we have, how can we most truly accomplish the will of God? And here's why I say that. Look at the very last verse that we'll come to, Lord willing, next week. The very last verse in the chapter, verse 35. And Jesus says, whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus introduces to us what he's doing is the will of God. So how are we going to get the answer to this question? How can we be most productive in, in God's kingdom for God's glory? Well, first, as we look at this passage, let's be perceptive of Christ's priority ministry. Now, there are many things going on. He healed the sick. I mean, he was teaching the crowds. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount. There, there were times when there were many things happening that were just amazing. But his priority was to get alone with these, his disciples. Priority ministry is with ordinary men teaching them to observe all things. The priority ministry is discipleship. Now, some say, oh, don't be talking so much about discipleship. I'm sorry, but I have to because Jesus does. It's a big deal. And we should be emphasizing it the same way he did. Matthew 28, would you go back there again and look at this significant statement that Jesus makes right before he goes to glory. By the way, did you notice last week during the baptism, I misquoted this? How many of you caught that? Be honest. How many of you said, oh, he didn't quote that correctly? My wife did, of course. Okay. Anybody else? I think I said uh, preaching to one another and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of God. But what does the passage say as we're looking at Matthew 28, verse 19? 
Matthew 28, verse 19, this great commission, we read, Go, therefore, that's the getting out there on, on the way as you're doing these things. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy, Ghost, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the priority. This is what Jesus is saying. This is what's important. You need to be doing this. He, and he calls those he desired. Jesus calls these disciples. Now notice what, what is their response and what developed here. Look at verse 13. They came to him, and in verse 14, to be with him. There's a coming to, this invitation, this calling. By the way, the question is, who are the called? The ones who responded to the call. The disciples, these 12, when Jesus called them, they came. And what was it they were wanting? Verse 14, to be with him. That's a relational concept. In fact, uh, if you just put this in your notes there, that word with there is the word that's spelled M-E-T-A. Meta. Anybody hear that word in our culture recently? Facebook has changed their name from Facebook to Meta. And when I'm hearing that, I'm thinking, what's going on with that? Why would you change the name? I mean, who needs Facebook anyway? But, but why, why would they do that? And I don't know if this is their understanding of it, but that word Meta means close friends. In the company of close friends. Now that's a process, getting to the place where you're close doesn't just happen at the snap of fingers. Over a course of three and a half years, these disciples that were with Jesus during this time, the first time he was interacting with them, he called them and he said, come and see. A little bit later, as they're understanding what's going on, Jesus said to them, come and follow me, and Jesus will call you to that. Toward the end of his ministry, the, the Last Supper, the upper room, Jesus said, come and be with me. Understand there's a relationship, there's a closeness, and the work of the Holy Spirit allowing us to understand his abiding presence. He will never leave us, and he makes that promise. And this be with him is in the present tense here. It's a continual thing that's happening there's a relationship that's in discipleship. Without the relationship, nothing else happens. You must be drawing near to the Lord on a daily basis and communing with the Lord and, and spending time with the Lord in prayer, in, in Bible reading, in Scripture memory, in fellowshipping with other believers, in listening to the truth, in expressing the truth. All these things that relate to your walk with the Lord. Walking in the Spirit is learning to make a big deal out of the presence of Jesus Christ in your life. It's not just a church thing. It's not just a religious thing. It's your life. It's your closest relationship. Your meta. And then notice the effect that, that what, it, what, the, what this discipleship, what this relationship did to these disciples. The effect on their lives. Look at verse 14. They were sent out to preach. This is the word caruso here. It's to, it's, again, it's in the present tense. It's in the continually, they're trumpeting out their message. 
Again, the way the word was put out there in their culture was very different than us. We, we think we, we turn on a box and up comes this picture and somebody's talking to us. Or we open up the screen and we hit the button, we go to the site and we, we listen to uh, some news event. It wasn't that way back then. What happened back then is a herald would come into town, he'd blow the trumpet, he'd open up the scroll and he'd read the news. That's what's being described here. That you're making sure everybody gets the news about Jesus Christ. They were preaching it everywhere they went. They were trumpeting the witness. And look at verse 15. They had authority. Now this is really important. Now in the context here, they had authority over the evil spirits. They cast out demons. And I've seen that in Africa they're not intimidated by that. They, what, what happens in a setting with the, where the Bible is being preached and, and somebody is going berserk with, with a demon, they just start reading Scripture, speaking about Jesus Christ. And then they pray. And then they read some more Scripture. And they pray. And they read some more Scripture. They're coming with the power of God. The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Correct? By the way, The influence of those horrendous demons is just as influential in American culture as it is in Africa. It's just they're a little bit more sly. But Christian, we still stand on the Word of God as our truth. The Word of God is our power. And we read in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Finish it with me. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We, we, have this, we have this bold message. In fact, on Wednesday night in our Bible study, as Awana is going on and the youth group is meeting and other Bible studies going on, we meet over here in the aquarium and we have a Bible study and we're working through the book of Acts. And what we're continually amazed at is in this book of Acts, the Christians had an amazing power. They were bold, and they took note that they had been with Jesus. When you have been with Jesus, you're going to be able to demonstrate in your culture where you are the power of God, and you don't have to be intimidated. I'm so tired of this, where I see Christians just kind of clamming up, thinking, oh, I don't know what to say. I might get in trouble. I might say the wrong thing. Christian, you have the power of God. You have the Word of God. There's no reason to be intimidated. Be bold in your life and in your witness for Jesus Christ. So, that's that's Christ's priority ministry, that we would be disciples like that. With a relationship with Him, and we're effective in our proclaiming of Christ and in our power over the wicked one. Greater is He that is in us than he that is in the world. Oh, we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. That's obvious. But we have the Word of God, and we can have the Word of God dwelling in us richly, and we don't have to be afraid. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Be strong. But then secondly, not only is there this understanding, this perception of Christ's priority in ministry, which is discipleship, but secondly, be inspired by who it is Jesus calls to be his disciples. Now look at the text. Look at verse 16 through 19. Dan read all these names, and he did a great job with it. 
Sometimes when you're reading Bible names, you're wondering, is that actually how to say that or not? How, how do you say boanginages or, uh, or uh, uh, how do you say Thaddeus? Thaddeus, all right. Excellent. And Alphaeus and Simeon and Judas, who betrayed him? Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, and James, and Thaddeus, and so forth. Thaddeus. Where'd these guys come from? Who are they? These are just 12 ordinary people. People just like you, just like me. Nothing flashy, nothing famous, no great IQ, just ordinary guys that God used. And we read here that Jesus appointed them. He chose them and he called them out. He appointed them, just average, ordinary, hardworking people to do his ministry of discipleship. Everyone in this room, one of the things I love about our church is we're all just ordinary people. There's nobody fancy or flashy or look at me. We're just average guys. But that's who Jesus appointed. Fishermen. At least four, maybe up to seven of these guys were fishermen. Just hardworking fishermen. Some tradesmen, other craftsmen, maybe some farmers in the mix. All of them were from Galilee, except Judas. He was kind of the outsider, unknown. But Jesus appointed them. And none of them had the saying, not me. And I don't think we should either. These average guys, prone to blunders, wrong attitudes, selfishness, and sometimes inappropriateness, maybe like my friend Tom. Hey, read John 3.16. Jesus loves you. That's true. But maybe it's not the best way to go about it. Peter, the leader of the whole group, makes you hit your head sometimes. What you thinking, Peter? Yet God chose him. All of them forsook Jesus. Yet God chose him. We think, oh man, I could never be anything like... Remember, these are ordinary guys. Just like you. And whatever your phase in life, old, young, child, parent, you are in this picture as somebody that God can choose to use. And this is Christ's priority ministry. This is how things get done. Amazingly, one of these was a zealot, Simon the Zealot, there in verse 18. He's a radical, a political radical, determined to overthrow these Roman oppressors. So they'd carry around these little daggers in their cloak. And, and then when they found a Roman soldier that was kind of isolated and un, unsuspecting, they'd pull out that dagger as they got close and they'd stab and kill the guy and then get away without being caught. That was the zealot. So they were, they were an item. And another one was a tax collector, Matthew, Levi. He, he set up this tax franchise 
uh, he'd buy it from the Romans and then he'd collect the taxes from the Jewish people and then, then he'd pay it back to the occupying Romans and the Jews hated these tax collectors. And if Simon, the zealot, had met Levi, the tax collector, somewhere else along the way, in all probability, Simon would have killed Matthew or Levi. Why? That was just what they did. Yet God was able to transform their lives through Jesus Christ and bring them together for a purpose that would change the world. Ordinary people, just like you and me. You say, you just don't understand my background. I'd never fit in. Well, praise God, none of the disciples would have either. Jesus even called these disciples slow learners and somewhat dense Luke 24, verse 25. He knew all their faults long before this. He even knew that Judas would betray him. And what I want you to understand here is it's not some super high echelon person. It's just ordinary people like you, like me. Jesus had ignored the religious establishment. He... he, he he set aside those as, that thought themselves as better as they weren't part of... He, he didn't go for the nobility. And with all their faults and character flaws, they were just ordinary people. They carried on a ministry after Jesus that eventually turned the world upside down. Can I just show you this slide of... In the lifetime of these disciples, what we know from history, this isn't verified in Scripture... This is what we can understand. that The entire known world, these 12 disciples made their way. And in one lifetime, the world was turned upside down with the gospel. Here's the point. Their ministry continues to influence us today. They are just like us. And they're people that God uses. And somewhere along the line... As they spoke of Jesus Christ, others spoke of Jesus Christ, and others spoke of Jesus Christ, and they passed the baton, and there was this exchange that was taking place using the gospel with power. So whatever you do, make disciples just like that. Live close to Christ, preach Christ, and do battle in this world to make Christ known. If you're a fisherman, you keep on being a fisherman, but you make disciples. If you're a teacher, you keep on teaching, but you make disciples. If you're a lawyer, you're a lawyer, you keep on being a lawyer, and you make disciples. If you're an engineer, you keep on being an engineer, and you make disciples. If you're a musician, you keep on being a musician, and you make disciples. If you're retired, you stay retired, but you keep on making disciples. This is what God has called us to, to invest in the lives of others to follow Jesus Christ, to follow Christ ourselves and to help others follow. So draw near to Jesus. Be effectively trained to serve Him, like with the exchange, and put it all into practice. I mentioned that uh, this was Tom's story, that, that he really desired to be a strong witness, and several Several people within our church got close to him, befriended him, helped him. He got into the Word. He was doing some basic Bible studies. He continued on more. In about three years, his life really did transform, and he, he developed some good sense, married a young lady, Kim, uh, married her, 
And you know what? 35, 40 years later, they're still serving the Lord. He's, for him, God moved him away from being an airman and moved him into being a pastor. And now he's been a pastor in LaGrange, uh, Wyoming, a little town of about, about 350 people, a church of about 180, thriving, a lot of discipleship going on, just living for the Lord. And I love this picture because wouldn't that be, I mean, in, in Wyoming, you, you'd have your baptismal be a, a trough like that, all right? And uh, passing a baton. Remember, you are the light of the world. Where God puts you, be that light and make a difference for all eternity. Nothing in life is as meaningful as to be used by God as a disciple, making disciples for his glory. Picture that. We're going to emphasize the Great Commission, discipleship. By God's grace, we'll walk together in unity, loving one another in spite of all of our flaws. And we're going to strive for fruit that remains that affects another generation. God, would you use our church to make that difference known. May your light shine and your glory be known in this place. Send revival, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.